Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, April 10th, 2023. It's been 3,330 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 411 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Some housekeeping before we begin. Today's report is somewhat limited due to Catholic Easter and Gregorian Palm Sunday, and our ongoing work to transition the podcast to our new host at Spotify and Megaphone. We appreciate your understanding. As part of that process, we reviewed our listener data over the weekend and learned that we have visibility into where people are listening, down to the city or town. Don't worry, we don't know anything else beyond that. But because of that, we also learned that we have listeners in the occupied territories of Ukraine. To those of you under occupation, we will never understand the depth of your bravery in pursuit of finding the truth. Please know that we will continue to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and fight as we have for over a year in the information space and are honored to do so. We see you. And one day you will be liberated. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that Russia could launch a missile attack is supported by Ukrainian officials warning civilians not to attend large gatherings. We maintain there is a significant chance of a large-scale Russian missile strike between April 10th and April 16th, but we also acknowledge that Russian VKS and Black Sea Fleet activity has decreased significantly in the last 48 hours. Second. We assess that the Russian VKS and naval forces are experiencing a critical shortage of precision munitions, as it's now been a month since the last wide-scale missile attack on Ukrainian infrastructure, and the Air Force is relying on GLONASS-guided glide bombs to attack border regions of Ukraine. Third, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential except in the Bakhmut operational area. Fourth, We maintain the Ukrainian defense of Bakhmut has reached its final phase, and Ukrainian forces are executing a planned retrograde operation. Fifth, Russian forces are experiencing a theater-wide shortage of non-precision artillery munitions, particularly anti-tank-guided missiles, or ATGMs. Sixth, we maintain that short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, also known as seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut, regardless of the cost. Seventh, 
Russian white nationalism connected to the Russian Orthodox Church and senior policymakers within Russian President Vladimir Putin's orbit are fueling religious and racial tension. Eighth, the risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid remains as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, targets Ukraine's power industry. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the governments of Moldova and Georgia to derail the European Union membership accession process and destabilize their current governments. One year ago yesterday, on April 9, 2022, Russian forces were still in an operational pause through most of Ukraine, reconstituting units to restore combat potential. Seven-caliber cruise missiles fired by the Black Sea Fleet hit the city of Mykolaiv. In the Donbass, heavy fighting continued in Mariupol, around the Azovstal metallurgical factory, and in the southwest part of the city. Chechen Akhmat reported they were fighting for control of Rubizhne. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson visited Kyiv and pledged a £100 million military assistance package. A quick content warning, the following contains frank discussion of war crimes, including sexual assault. The day before, in Kramatorsk, two Russian Tachkyu missiles struck the train station packed with over a thousand refugees waiting for evacuation. The attack killed 61 and wounded more than 100. Most victims were women, children, disabled people, and pensioners. Moments after the missile strike, the Russian MOD claimed they had destroyed an ammunition train with troops. However, because multiple media outlets were covering the evacuation of civilians, news coverage of the war crime spread in real time, forcing the Russian MOD and Kremlin-backed pro-Russian social media accounts to delete their messages. The missiles were likely launched from Shakhtarsk. A video circulated on Russian social media accounts showed Russian soldiers gang-raping a young Ukrainian woman. Quick editor's note. Sometimes these recaps hit a mental health landmine. The remaining original members of our team all had the same reaction. Completely forgot about this. Let's get some regional updates and, since it's Monday, take a look at both belligerents' objectives, starting with Kharkiv. The Russian objective is to hold defensive lines, prevent Ukrainian advance, and terrorize Ukrainian civilians near the line of conflict. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the northeastern corner of the oblast, hold defensive lines in the Kupiansk operational area, and protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. In the Dvorichna operational area, the Russian MOD reported positional fighting between squad or platoon-sized units in the area of Sinkivka. The Kupiansk operational area remains stable, with artillery exchanges between both combatants, with Russian forces continuing to target civilians and civilian infrastructure west of the Oskil River. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to recapture the remainder of the oblast and control the insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. Operational Command East spokesperson, Ukrainian Colonel Serhii Chervati, said there were only seven, quote, skirmishes from Dvorichna in Kharkiv to the banks of the Severskidonets River south of Kremina. In the Svatova operational area, 
The Russian MOD reported positional fighting in the area of Novoselivsky. In the Kremina operational area, there was only positional fighting in the forested areas west of Kremina, south of Dibrova and Kuzmine, and in the Serebriansky woods. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture Bakhmut, set conditions to attack Kramatorsk, Slovyansk, and Siversk, and capture the entire region. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Siversk operational area, positional fighting continued east of Virnokomyanskia, with the Russian attack failing to advance closer to the settlement. In the Bakhmut operational area, mercenaries with PMC Wagner continued attacks on Ukrainian positions north of Bohdanivka and tried to advance closer to Khromove. Neither attack was successful. North of Khromove, another video showed a Ukrainian tank firing at PMC Wagner positions with impunity. It's really unclear why there is an observable shortage of ATGMs and man-portable anti-tank weapons among Russian forces. In northern Bakhmut, fighting continued in the area of Rosali, with PMC Wagner reportedly capturing school number 24. This is a significant breach of the railroad track defensive lines. We've updated the map, but without clarity on if the advance on the school came from Rose Alley, the north, or the east, we moved the line of conflict to Rose Alley to the grain elevators. If our assessment is correct, there is very little to keep Russian forces from advancing deep into the western part of Bakhmut. The status of the state police station is unknown. In the center of the city, there appears to be very little change in the situation, which remains extremely difficult for Ukrainian forces. We are unsure of the status of the Church of All Saints, but are confident that Ukrainian forces still control Railroad Station 1. In the southern part of Bakhmut, contrary to repeated claims by Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar, Ukrainian troops still controlled Avanhard Stadium and Korsunskoho Street. South of Avanhard, Russian forces moved closer to Bakhmutska Street and the situation is said to be very difficult. There was reportedly fighting near schools number 2 and 40 by the MiG-17 where the T-504 highway and Korsunskoho Street intersect. South of Bakhmut, PMC Wagner and Russian VDV forces continued attacks on Ivanivsky, where the situation remains unchanged. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture Velika Novosilka, Vukhledar, Marinka, and Avdiivka, set conditions to capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. Oleksiy Dimitrashkivsky, a spokesman for the defense forces of the Tavria Front, said that, quote, Positional battles continue in the area of Marinka and Avdiivka. The Russians see variable success, 
but all our positions which the enemy takes are recaptured and brought back. The Russians suffer enormous losses. Every day the enemy loses about two personnel companies, but does not give up hope. End quote. Quick assessment. Using a ratio of 1 to 5, that means Ukraine is losing up to two platoons a day, assuming, of course, that the Russian companies are fully staffed and are combat effective. For reference, the U.S. Department of Defense defines a company as consisting of three to four platoons. Russian attempts to advance in the direction of Novokalinove and Keramik from the north of Krasnohorivka failed. South of Novobakhmutivka, Russian forces clawed back territory in the forested area while failing to advance on Berdichi. There was limited fighting near Avdiivka, with Russian forces unable to make gains. At the time of recording, Ukrainian officials were looking for four children whose caregivers have repeatedly refused to evacuate. The families were told they had until April 10th to comply, and then their children would be removed. Reportedly, the families have gone into hiding. Local officials have taken the hardline stance and got a court order after a five-month-old baby was killed on March 30th during a Russian airstrike, just hours after Ukrainian officials appealed to the family to leave. South of Avdiivka, both Russian and Ukrainian forces attempted attacks in the no-man's land between Vodyana and Sieverne, and both combatants were unsuccessful. Positional fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske. In the Marinka operational area, intense fighting continued with Russian troops rearranging the rubble into smaller pieces using tanks and artillery. Fighting continued along Druzhby Avenue with no change in the situation. Russian forces continued renewed attempts to recapture the positions they inexplicably abandoned last week east of Pobida without success. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia and integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. On April 8th, the residential area of Zaporizhia was hit by two, quote, rockets, although it was unspecified if they were Uragan, Tornado S, or S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. One house was destroyed, and dozens of private homes had windows and roofs damaged. The attack killed a man and his 10-year-old daughter, who were in a car at the time of the attack. Three people living in the destroyed house were missing, two others were wounded, with one hospitalized. Social media reports from local residents in Tokmak claimed there were six explosions near the city, which would be consistent with a rocket attack by HIMARS. At the time of recording, there was no additional information. Russian occupiers are building a second perimeter fence at the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, and will no longer allow private automobiles or shuttle buses to drive up to the facility. Employees must walk from a designated spot through a prepared route that bisects a minefield. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported nine Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching up to eight caliber cruise missiles in total. 
In occupied Crimea, local officials claim a Ukrainian missile struck and destroyed an S-300 anti-aircraft missile complex in Pyongyrskoye, wounding three. The settlement is well outside of the range of anything in Ukraine's arsenal, and it seems unlikely, to our team at least, that a new short-range missile system would be used to attack a relatively low-value target. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Kherson, the Russian VKS stepped up its bombing missions using Fab 500 SE GLONASS-guided glide bombs. Biloserka, Bereslav, Lvov, and Novoberislav were all bombed. In Bereslav, the city's grain elevators were targeted, causing significant damage, and in Lvov, the city's administrative building was destroyed. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Tests conducted by The Telegraph last week showed that Twitter is no longer throttling Russian government accounts. Russian accounts for President Vladimir Putin, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Russia, and the Russian Embassy in Britain now appear at the top of the results for certain search terms about the war in Ukraine. In April last year, Twitter's trust and safety team said it would, quote, not amplify or recommend government accounts belonging to states that limit access to free information and are engaged in armed interstate conflict, end quote. Not only are Russian state-controlled accounts apparently being boosted in search results, but the accounts are also algorithmically driven into the For You feed for newly created accounts. Twitter no longer has a public relations department, and Elon Musk has started responding to any media inquiries with the poop emoji. In breaking news that's probably not surprising to anyone, United States House leadership was not calling for an investigation into how Twitter could threaten United States national security. I guess that level of scrutiny is reserved for TikTok. Videos and pictures have shown the impact Bezdorizhia is having on Ukrainian troops. With evening temperatures hovering around 5 degrees Celsius, frostbite and trench foot are causing casualties. We do include links to the videos and photos in our April 8th situation report on Patreon. Some people may find the picture of trench foot disturbing. Speaking of casualties, let's talk about the Russian military, mobilization, and Mir. In a sign that the Kremlin has learned some things from a PMC Wagner mistake, penal unit recruits are now signing 18-month contracts with the Russian MOD instead of six. Wagner will lose thousands of combat veterans in May, with those recruited during their peak efforts in October and November reaching the end of their six-month contract. Casualty rates among some penal units have exceeded 90% during six months of contracts providing an added benefit of most of those pressed into service never completing their contractual obligations. Everything is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we have more good news. On April 8th, another 31 Ukrainian children who had been kidnapped by Russia were repatriated. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then... Stay safe, everyone. 
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.